Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of Daffy's Roundtable. Now, if you know me, you know I'm pretty obsessed with dart frogs, and you know I could spend hours talking about them. So it's pretty weird that we've done 12 episodes already without mentioning them. For this reason, today's episode is going to be all about dart frogs, and I have the perfect guest to do this. My guest today has been a hobbyist for 10 years and is a highly trusted source when it comes to dart frog information, dart frog supplies, or even dart frogs themselves. Now, before we get into this and I introduce my guest, I do want to say that while this episode will have a lot of great information about dart frogs and will be a good source of information for people in the hobby, it is not enough. Please do your own research before purchasing a dart frog or any other animal for that matter. Okay, without further ado, let me introduce my guest for today, Alex Menke from Frog Daddy. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thank you very much for coming on. I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, there's I, I I have not done a dart frog episode yet, although half my collection is dart frogs and like I'm obsessed with dart frogs. So I've been waiting for, for this for a very long time. So nice. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No uh, problem. I'm glad I'm the first one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so let's dive right into it. How did, first of all, how did you get into keeping dart frogs? And then how did Frog Daddy come out of that? Um, so I got into keeping dart frogs about 10 years ago, uh, a little bit more. So I've been at it about a decade now. Um, so in 2011, I actually got my first uh, group of dart frogs from a guy. I was in college. Um, he was actually getting rid of them. And I had just started researching dart frogs. So I jumped on it. Um, I had been mulling, mulling around on Dendroboard as a nobody, um, for a while there. And I got them. There were two Costa Rican green and blacks, um, erratus. And then, yeah, I basically went to Josh's frogs website because I was in the back of the classroom thinking about, you know, owning them. And yeah, I bought like, I think I bought like six more. So I had a huge group of eight, just like. You know, of the everyone. same of the uh, black and greens. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Costa Rican green and blacks. Yeah. Um, they, but I only had like a thirty-six inch tank, so quickly I I broke it down into like um, into a trio eventually and sold the others. But and that was years later though. I had eight of them in there for probably almost a year. Um, but the, you like know, the thirty-six, was, eighteen, like uh, yeah, exoterras. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, right, 36, cool. 18, 18. That was my first ever tank besides my 18, 18, 24 that was housing tree frogs at the time. Awesome. And this was about 10 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, that was in college. Um, so I'm getting old uh, and that's fine. It's another topic. But uh, during grad school, um, after I moved to uh, Michigan, I started getting more into it. That's when I had about 13 enclosures. Um, I had 11 in the first half, and then by the next year, I had 13. Still really small. Frog Daddy was kind of a conceptual idea at that point. Um, I guess I was I was like some other hobbyists where... You, you were breeding and selling? Yeah, you know, you right. have, you know, everybody has that, like, business. That's yeah. not actually a business. Um, because they have offspring, and they got to sell them. Yeah. Um, so I started doing that. I started doing wholesale leaf litter. Um with Mike Rizzo at Glassbox. Um, I started doing a lot of stuff like that. Um, wholesaling leaf litter to a lot of people. I was the leaf guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> leaf is an important part of the hobby. 
Yeah, it is. It's yeah. it's a lot of work for very little pay. That's why everybody wholesales them. Yeah. I figured that out like last year. <laughs> um, still doing it. A couple it, of though. years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of years later. But do you find that the physical products do better for the business than the actual frogs? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah the frogs are a very minimal portion okay. of my actual business. Right. If I was a smart businessman, I would get rid of like probably 90% of my collection. But you're a hobbyist first. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, I'm a collector, man. I love yeah. Pokemon. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm a collector. I'm a exactly. huge collector. So I collect everything I get into. I collect it. So. Oh, that's awesome. When you see the different colors, it's kind of hard to. to, to not it's awesome. Out. It's also really, uh, it can be problematic. Um, but yeah, so after. After grad school, I went back to teach at the university I got my undergrad from um, at Queens. And so I was back in North Carolina. Uh, and then I went from 13 to 72 enclosures. And then the next year I had 132. And in between the transition from 72 to 132 is when I launched the company. Um, and that was kind of an idea that I started getting more and more into as I expanded the collection. You know, you start selling plants and dry goods. I already did all the leaf litter, so I already had that. So yeah, I just basically started a website. I launched my website before my business in 2017 with two products on it, Fruit Fly Media and Springtails. And all of a sudden, you know, every month I'd add a few products and then by the end of 2019, I had a brand new website redesigned for launch in 2020. Uh, so, or 2021, I apologize. That was the wrong year. I just launched my new website this year. Right. <laughs> and, and that's about when I started hearing about you on the uh, Dart Frog group on Facebook. I remember you started, to, uh, like when you did the reopening, you, you started yeah. posting. And and actually, that's before we dive into, into Dart Frogs itself, that's something that... Um, I've I've noticed a lot a lot of consistency on the pages. People are always complimenting your customer service and and like how far you go for your customers. So, do you want to maybe talk about that for a second? Do you feel like that's a big part of the Frog Daddy name as well? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the only thing I have going for me actually is <laughs> <laughs> that I feel like I'm not trying to be, you know, too humble about it, but I feel like. We, you know, a lot of the companies sell similar products. Um, the only way we really distinguish ourselves is actually our feeders. Our fruit flies are really good. Um, I take really, I take a lot of pride in our feeders, uh, shipping feeders. It's home run every time, which is really good. Um, that's where we beat competitors mainly. And then also our customer services. I mean, Chase Jennings probably gives uh, me a pretty good run for my money in terms of customer service. Is that Houston Frogs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we we really try to push that. Um, but I'm, you know, I have loyalty tiers. Um, I give, I'm giving all of my, um, my top 10 customers, I'm giving them uh, gift cards this Christmas and any loyal customers I'm giving gift cards this year. Um, you know, it, I really do try and give them rewards there's all sorts of rewards programs so yeah the customer service is my number one priority 
It always has been, and it's the only real thing that distinguishes me from other companies, I think. Right, and that stays true to everything I've been hearing and reading about you. And and, and yeah. you're right. Every every I mean, Dart Frog Breeders, your products are gonna be the same. The the the, the stuff. So you're right. It's the it's the brand and and whether they want to support a brand that that makes somebody go to to uh to a specific place. So that's awesome that uh, you have that. And the fruit flies. Again, I have a bunch of questions for you about fruit flies because that's that's, that's something that again I, I kept seeing like you're, you're always arriving perfectly packaged. There's always like booming cultures and, yep. and all of that. But we'll get into that. Uh, let's get firstly into the frogs. Uh, do you have a favorite species? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I want to start tough. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's probably the hardest question we'll encounter today. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes and no. I have many favorites it's like trying to choose children sometimes people do have a favorite but they're never going to tell you they're never going to tell um, <laughs> so yeah i mean i really like ufaga pamilio uh people have been listening in on any of my lives or have been following me for a long time they know that we really focus on procuring obscure localities um i'm really pushing um captive conservation efforts so any locality I don't have, I usually just get it. I mean, it's crazy to think, but I do have the means to do that. So I do. A lot of the company money goes to procurement of the really rare stuff, uh, stuff that nobody wants to breed, that kind of stuff, because eventually they will want to breed it and nobody will have it. I've seen a lot of locales die out in my 10 years, and I'm really upset about that. So uh ufaka familiar one we have 52 different locales at this time uh probably one of the most robust collections in the country at the moment um and then ranitamea any of the ranitamea species are great i've really scaled back on my focus on those in uh in regard to ufaga i'm kind of pushing those right now ranitamea have kind of been an afterthought but when i first got in the business i was very very um, I was very much so pushing the genus as a whole. And I would say out of the genus, the Fantastica are my favorite species. Okay. So those would be my two if I had to choose. And there's, you know, there's a ton of runner-ups, but we'd be here all night if I was rattling everything off. <laughs> no, for sure. And I'm sorry for, for making you choose. And yeah, so, okay. you, so you said your, your focus is primarily Ufaga because of like conservation efforts and because they're uh, their habitat is kind of dying out now in the wild? I think a lot of habitats are dying out. Um, that's kind of a global problem uh, sure. in terms of habitat degradation, land use issues, uh, the promotion and, you know, pushing agriculture uh, in those countries. I mean, what are you going to tell somebody not to feed their family For if sure. a little frog dies? I mean, at, in other developing nations, as you know, as a whole, they're looking for GDP, increases in GDP. And I mean, if you have everybody just, you know, all of it's ecotourism, it can't all be ecotourism, um, you know, and especially with coronavirus and the things that have been happening uh, nowadays, I mean, it's been even harder for those countries to sustain. So yeah, they're, they're tearing down rainforests to build ag, you know, fields for agriculture. And you really can't be that mad at them because if that's the way they have to feed their family, then that's what it they is. They have nothing else. Yeah. So all you really can do 
is hope that your NGOs or wherever you're donating your money to for rainforest conservation is actually buying rainforest property um, and then staffing it because if you're just buying it and nobody's there with a gun, those countries really don't care. They pretty much, it's, some of those countries are really rogue when it comes to uh, enforcement of laws. Laws, yeah. I won't go into that, but like, that's kind of how it is. So yeah, no, for sure. What I want to do, my main objective is to have at least two pairs of every frog that we've that we've ever had in this industry. That's every locale, every morph, everything. Wow. So that in case something happens in the wild where they do go extinct, at least they have survived in captivity. In captivity. Now, what does that mean? Nothing much. Um, do you I think thought, there's a potential of returning them to the wild one day? I doubt it. Um, I don't know for sure. Even with the detailed records I keep, it's hard pressed to assume that anyone would place them back into the wild. Um, nor do we know if they would survive very well yeah. if reintroduced. Um, there's also a time frame there that may or may not work. Uh, you have to work with local officials on that exportation of animals. I mean, would they even make it? Would they make the trip? Um, there's a lot of factors that come with reintroduction and a lot of those things I can't do based on who I am. Um, I, our facility is not even like ACA accredited. You have to have documentation papers usually to validate uh, genetic tests to validate that what you have is the exact species. Um, so there's a lot of things at play with reintroduction. For sure. um, but again, I mean, what can you do? If Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hopeful as well, but we can only do what we can do here with captive breeding efforts. Um, that's with any animal. So, yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, and, and this is a topic that I actually discuss uh, about many different species and the potential of it. And, and, you know, not just the mixing of the locales and keeping of the records. Uh, we don't even know what... Uh, viruses or pathogens we can introduce back into the wild from our collections you know right. having uh, different locales next to each other or different species next to each other it could be transmitting between them and they might yep. do okay in captivity but you don't know what's yeah we have no idea yeah. and the risk there's risk management in play there sure. um, and a lot of a lot of countries aren't going to take that risk so mm -hmm. especially not from frog daddy who that you know who <laughs> that? that's not like you know Maybe one day it'll be something. Hopefully, but hopefully. Right now it's just a company, so no, a company doing great things for for the hobby for sure. Hopefully, so yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. No, definitely, uh, awesome. Okay, so should we get into a little bit of the the dart frog husbandry? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Fire it okay. off. Let's go. Um, so first thing I want to ask is there's a lot of misconception about how hard dart frogs are to keep. Are they, yeah. that they're very finicky species that they're one of the tougher things in the hobby what's your opinion on that is it true um what do you think no it's not true at all um they're not hard to keep at all um in my opinion they're one of the easiest animals to keep i agree if you get the setup right and most of the time the misconceptions are within the setups um for some reason there's perpetuation of misinformation or just lack of, it's not even misinformation, it's just the lack of information. A lot of chain pet stores just lack the proper enclosure. 
and the proper know-how to educate their buyers. I think that's one of the main things um, now that we're seeing increases in imports uh, due to popularity, which is not a good thing. That's not what captive breeding is trying to do. Um, but we are seeing it, and a lot of these frogs are still coming in, um, which isn't all a bad thing. I won't get into that too much um, or derail here, but we do see people at expos. These are importers. They have leucomelis and things on their table. They're 30 bucks. They're super cheap, but they're wild caught. They're wild caught. Yeah, so a lot of wild caught frogs, man, they're chock full of just a lot of worms and yeah. diseases. And yeah. So most of the time, you know, in the wild, they're living less than five years. Uh, in captivity, they can live over 20 years. Wow. So you have, and a lot of the reason is diseases, viruses, bacterial, fungal infections. Those things are rampant in the wild. And, you know, in captivity, we can at least somewhat control that. Um. But I think there's that to contend with. The lack of information, uh, store owners just getting import lists and being like, oh, there's dark frogs on this one. I'm going to grab those, stock them in my random pet store and sell them to people on a and cocoa. 10 different species in one tank. Yeah. And with like cocoa fiber substrate, no leaf litter, no hides, um, fake plants. Uh, it's honestly just a disaster because they think they're doing a decent job because other frogs can actually live on that stuff and be fine. But dar frogs, it's not that way. So that's the main thing, I think. And the other part does land on the buyer. Not doing enough uh, research, but I mean, the seller is always to blame. That's what I've learned. The seller should not push these animals on anybody. Uh, it shows I always make sure that my potential buyers are Hey, do you have a tank? Do you have a setup? Or are you going to get the tank over there and come back to me and set it up at the table? I allow people to do that. You know, do you know about fruit flies? Do you know about culturing? Are you aware that we sell fruit flies? Are you even aware that dark frogs eat fruit flies? Eat fruit flies. <laughs> you know, so it's like the feeders is another huge issue. It's a, it's a huge issue. The biggest problem is, is misinformation and lack of information. And then the second is feeders. People don't get the fruit fly thing. Um, and I get it. Like, it's it's weird. Um, you have cultures. You have fresh versus producing. You have, oh, what type of fly do I get? How long is it going to take? Um, oh, I buy this powder. Does it already have fly eggs in it? How do I make more of flies? I mean, I've gotten, what are these white worm things? I'm like, dude, those are maggots. Yeah. They're like, is that bad? And I'm like, dude, we. <laughs> so, again, but this yeah. is foreign to people. This is not they something they see every day. Right. And it's not. And you have to, as a seller, you have to remind yourself, baby steps, come on back. Like, we don't all have, all have research in this, degrees in this stuff. And, yeah. So, a lot of the times, your regular pet shop owner is getting strawberry blue jeans on an import, trying to feed it crickets and just sells them faster than they can die, literally, to unsuspecting buyers thinking that they're an easy frog when in reality they are an easy frog but the problem is you're setting your customers up for failure then the customers get on the dark frog groups and being like i have frog and it's like dying of course and so we have to back up so i think for sellers we have to do better but that's the animal industry is really rough um i don't even want to get into it um sure. not right now 
at least. <laughs> later, that's fine. Because I'm trying to finish the answer to the question. No um, trying to get better at this. And the second thing is buyers do the damn research. So like stop buying things you know nothing about. It it's it's an animal, even though it's a frog, it's it's like you literally going and people do this too, so it's not a good example, but that's like buying a puppy on a whim. Like, are you ready for this puppy? Do you have all the things you need to feed the puppy, to house the puppy, um, to pay for the vet bills? For the yeah. Puppy? yeah, it's just like it it makes no sense to me why people go to these repticons and things and they will literally go up and buy an animal and they don't even have an enclosure. They're just going to wing it and they don't know what to feed it. And I'm just like, if I was the seller of that animal, I would be ashamed that I did not educate my buyer. And that's where frog daddy is different. I, I don't even push the frogs on people. I push people away from the frogs because I want them to have a good experience. Here's why people get said frog and they kill it and then they think it's hard and then they spread misinformation that oh the frog was hard it, it's like we literally punish ourselves as sellers because we're not doing our jobs we would have more buyers repeat customers and people spreading good information if we would just not push these animals on people but people are looking at short-term gains and they're not looking at the hobby as a long play to get more people involved in this. And that is a huge issue. So it goes with any industry too. And that's very true. It's the long game. And I play the long game because I'm going to be here for a long time. I have fantastic repeat customers. I have great, you know, it. it's always a good experience. And that is what keeps people in the hobby. The problem is the hobby burnout is so fast. Average turnover is less than two years for wow. people to get dart frogs and get out of it. Unless it, the average time is less than two years. And that to me is sad because these animals live, you know, at least seven years, seven to 15 years on average. Right. So, you know, and what, it takes at least two years to really understand the whole process and to, to learn everything. Like even, I mean, I've been, it's, I think it's been, I've been keeping dart frogs for maybe three years and I still know nothing. Like, yeah, you know? I know. And that's the fun part is like yeah. all the vivariums and the builds and the, Different kinds, the whole experience can't be experienced that fast. For sure. Um, so I think we're really losing our ass by just pushing these frogs on people, even though they're very easy. So that's the full answer to your question. They're not hard animals at all. I couldn't have thousands and do it by myself if I had any other animal, even fish. I mean, it would be very difficult. No, for sure. I mean, fish are all the water changes you need to do yeah. and all of that. It, for sure. It, it takes <laughs> a lot more for sure. I can tell you that. No, definitely. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. And then, and then even to, to add to that point, once people do go on those Facebook groups and they're posting those dead frogs, even though it's not their fault, they're getting attacked by other people in the community. And they're like, well, it doesn't is this help. a community I want to be in even like for sure. Yeah. And that's, they go, they go in and out in and, and out. it's yeah. faster than you could have had. You could have changed the whole experience. By getting a good seller in there, explaining the frogs, explaining why they're awesome, explaining everything that goes into the setup. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. Yeah, you may not get the sale, but it doesn't matter. It gets them good information. Then most of the time, people sit and chew on that information for sometimes weeks on end. Then you get a call back and they're ready to buy. And that is that is when you're good. 
you set them up for success. And I have had people from first sale to today. It has been three years. And I have some customers that are three years going and they have, you know, at least I can name a guy right, right off the bat that has over 20 tanks. And I have a guy going on eight tanks. I mean, these All are first time customers and I set them up right. And a lot of people do it. Chase does that too. It's not just me. I mean, again, I'm not trying to promote myself here. I'm just saying that if you get a good, reputable, um, hobbyist minded business selling you a frog and not just some conglomerate or some repticon vendor, not, not to pick on them. I'm just, I vend the repticons. I see what's on the table. Um, you get a good experience and that keeps people involved, excited, and it keeps the hobby going and growing. So that is uh, an amazing answer. No, I, I completely agree with everything you just said there. And, and you know what? It occurs in, in many different, even in the like creating content world, right? people are trying to push each other out, but the more people out there creating content, the more people view the hobby, the more people join the hobby, the more everyone benefits. So I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Um, okay. So what about, um, what about the setups themselves? You know, there's a lot of rules out there. Yeah. A pair to 40 gallons, uh, a trio to an 18, whatever. There's, there's a lot of like set rules. Do we agree that these rules are, um, like, need to be there or is there like space to 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 uh, maybe move around always space to move around okay. um the rules are there for a reason though i do respect the rules and i like the rules and we set those rules not sure. me but we as a hobby so, yeah. the reason that we set those rules is because beginners want to smash these frogs into small enclosures that is not inherently a huge issue on the short term the problem is people have fishbowl mentality. That's what I like to call it. Um, a lot of individuals have this old school mentality that small frog equals small enclosure. The smaller the animal, the smaller space it needs. And we know that that's not true. Uh, we as in the hobby. We know that that's not the case, that there are some frogs that are really territorial. There are some frogs that use vast amounts of uh, space in situ. Um, so in their native environment, right. um, they have tutorial, territorial disputes. They need complex uh, design for proper uh, proper mating rituals, um, for calling, for competition, if they're in groups. But there are two things that I like to talk about that are that have to do with space in inside of a set environment. So let's just say, we have two frogs in a 10-gallon tank. Most people nowadays would say that's way too small. That's never going to work. Don't do it. And for new people, that is absolutely true. Because new people do not need to be trying with bare minimum. If this is your, and this again, this is an ethics thing. I go a lot by ethics. Ethically speaking, why would you want to do the bare minimum for your one frog? or your one pair of frogs, why would you not do a little extra or a little bit like normal and just get an 18, 18, 24 or something like that? As a new person coming in, it's going to set you up for a lot better success. There's more space for the frogs to, you know, jump around, to hunt, to mate, do whatever they need to do. Um, putting them in a 10 gallon is not great. Now, if you did put them in a 10 gallon, I have tons of 10 gallons. I have 72 of them. Um, 
and they're all going away this year. So, which is good. You don't they, like the look of the ten gallons, huh? I hate ten <laughs> gallons. They're not great tanks for frogs. Um, I, I, I'm same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're doable. Yes. Have I had pairs in there for years? Yes. Am I proud of that? No. But I'm also I also have almost three hundred enclosures. Right. It becomes to tough. Under, yeah. I mean, you have to understand that. Like, there's. I'm not a puppy mill, but I'm also not like. Here's my one frog. Yeah, I have a ten gallon. It's like there's no excuse for that, in my opinion. Definitely do do better you know but i at the same time that's hypocritical so i understand so things you can do that aren't talked about are usable surface area and um oh my gosh what's my other one i'm blanking right now um basically like ha uh, visual barriers yeah. and that goes with habitat complexity so you know how like in new york city there's no space right and, but okay. there's a, there's a crap ton of people there and again you probably won't like New York City, or maybe you do. Um, if you're like me, you hate it because there's way too many people. I just don't I don't like that. Well, the reason so many people can fit in New York City is because skyscrapers and you know, we build vertically. The way it's designed. Yeah. So what you can do in a tank is also build vertically using the same methodology. So you can take cork tubes, hollow tubes those kinds of things and stack them. Um, this allows for frogs to have a complete visual barrier and a hide on top of one another. And you may think, Oh, that's taking up a ton of space, but it's actually giving you more space, more usable surface. It's, as you said earlier, more usable surface area. Correct. Yeah. So if you use this method, you can actually successfully keep frogs in a smaller enclosure with more of that i don't want to tout that though because that's not great for new people to hear because then they're going to try and get away with that and i know really for sure you should that's something more that's more advanced that needs more attention um the other thing is visual barriers uh star frogs get really stressed out stress is like a main component of them dying uh, and stress can be caused by many different things uh, a lot of new people get tinctorious and Tinctorius are aggressive dart frogs. All Dendrobates are aggressive to some degree. Uh, even my Erratus used to wrestle all the time. Um, they still do. I have a 1.2, so the two females kind of do a tussle. But it's not bad. It's not like Dendrobates, uh, Tinctorius is. But if you have that and you don't have any visual barriers, if it's just an open tank, they always see each other and they're always competing. There's nowhere to go, to retreat. Um so making a complex environment is sometimes better, even at the cost of tank space. So habitat complexity does, at least with the hardscape, what I call the hardscape versus the softscape. The softscape is the plants, the microfauna, and the frogs, whereas the hardscape is the substrate, the leaf litter, and the background, uh, wood pieces, that kind of stuff. Um, so building complexity and usable surface area in your hardscape is going to promote a little bit better first time success. And so that's what I tell people to do, you know, buy the wood pieces, buy the cork rounds. Cork rounds are fantastic. Um, honestly, I use them in every build that I have now. Um, hollow out cork rounds. Yeah. You won't see your frogs all the time, but that's good because they're comfortable they, and they, they need to hide. Sometimes you can't have, 
your frogs out, they, they're not like that in nature. They hide under leaf litter like most of the day. Um, I mean, they would just be open. Like it, you got to understand an 1818 cube that has a giant ass light at the top and no cover. That's like a field to them. They don't live in that area. Yeah. That's, that's totally artificial. You need a lot of cover, a lot of leaf litter. If you go in situ, there's bramble everywhere. There's knockdown palm fronds. There's tons of stuff for them to retreat under if they feel threatened. And but if they sometimes feel threatened by you, they feel threatened by other frogs, um, you know, anything like that. So making them have more hides actually makes them bolder over time because they know there's a place for them to go if there is something happening like your hand reaching in or you know you're coming up with all your friends and be like yay frogs you know like <laughs> my facility kids like staring at the glass you know it's sticking their nose up against it and yeah <laughs> it's good for them to not feel threatened and that's a big misconception that people have even if they buy a big tank they don't they're not doing anything with it they're used to these bare minimalistic setups that are fine for a lot of snakes i mean if they're used to snakes in tubs, this is a totally foreign, weird concept because it takes away space in their mind. And they're like, well, how's that? How's that useful if you're telling me they need more space? Yeah. So it's how you use the space that's actually more important. So, yes, there are caveats to, oh, you can only keep a pair in a 10-gallon or one, one 10 gallons per frog. I mean – yeah, that's for new people to not like totally screw up their experience by throwing three small Ranitsmea in a five-gallon tank and calling it a, a day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the rules are in place for reasons, but the rules are meant to be broken, in yeah. my opinion. Uh, so yeah. I like that. I like that. And and you know what? I I probably phrased that question incorrectly. I did not mean for any any beginners listening to this. Do not put your frogs in a smaller tank. No, don't. I, yeah. yeah okay. No, I did not mean it for it for it to come out that way. I was just um. No, you know, no, there seems to be fine. a little bit of hardness on like, oh no, there's you have more than you know the required space, and I kind of want to show that again. I've heard you yeah. actually give that answer before the useful space answer, and that, that's what, yes. what I wanted to, to come out. Uh, it's it's the usable surface area and the and the visual barriers and all of that. So no, that's yeah. great. Uh, I completely agree. And again, don't don't put your frogs in, in small tanks. Stick yeah. to the rules. <laughs> first time, try to do as the best you can do because. If you have success the first time, that opens the doors for second, third tries. Okay, now I'm going to get into this frog, or I'm going to go a little smaller this time and just see, you know, I have experience, though, so I know what to look for. If there's aggression, I know what to look for. If there's mating, I know what to look for. Um, right. If there's bloat, you know, any any weird positions the frog is in, I know what that is. You know, it's all of those things kind of tie into basic husbandry and prevention of you know having a bad time with the industry you know having a bad time with you know your first frogs give them the best possible setup the first time then you can make adjustments down the line but why not you know like i said my first tank was 36 18 18 a lot of people want to start with like 12 by 12 by 18s did i have that yeah i had those but that was after i had the big tank you know, the group of frogs was too big and I figured that out too fast, but nobody was there telling me, Hey, you know, probably don't put eight in there, you know, to start, probably just chill at four. That would be better. So I feel like there needs to be more good information out there. Um, For sure. So, yeah.
for sure and 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 yeah and that was actually one of the main reasons for wanting to do this podcast putting more of that information out there right like yeah um there there definitely is a lack i agree and and having guests like you on where hopefully we can bridge that gap um okay so you know most people if, if you the, the things you do find online is the the general the general stuff you know you need to feed fruit flies you need that uh, that well um well set up enclosure but what about is it possible to have to, to keep dark frogs without the whole bioactive and all the life plants and everything? Yeah. Is that, is it that is, doable? It's doable. It's not advisable, but it's doable. Okay. Um, the, the quality of life for them, it just depends on what you again, that's an ethical kind of anthropomorphic view of, of that. Um, I mean, I, unfortunately, I mean, there are frogs that don't get sold. Um, I have a lot of singles that are just, you know, I have four from the clutch. Somebody buys three. Nobody, nobody really buys one frog. So what happens is I have like 20 or 20 or so single frogs that are old, that are like a year old or more. Um, and they're chilling in tubs. And I mean, the tubs have leaf litter, they have cork rounds, but that's about it. There's no plants. There's no light. Uh, besides the ambient light from other tanks. Um, and they're happy and healthy. It, yeah. I mean, is it possible? Absolutely. Would you want to do it? I mean, I, I can't think of a person that would rather do that than have like the nice green lush. The whole point of dark frogs is to see them. Absolutely. I think if you're like, a pu- I hate to say puppy mill more than once in one podcast, but <laughs> if you're like a frog mill, then yeah, maybe like, I mean, I know a company that does keep them in really bare minimum spag moss, 10 gallons. I won't name it, but I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Yep. But, and that's, no, I mean, long-term health conditions on that is not good. Um, spag moss harbors bacteria. I know they probably change it out. Um, and that's good. But, you know, if, yeah, the long answer to your question is yes, they can be kept non-bio, but I don't know a single person that does that. Or, or that would prefer to do it, and, yeah. and the frogs would prefer the bioactive as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's yeah. so many benefits to it. It greatly outweighs the costs. They're not like snakes. Some snakes, I feel like, do better in sterile. Some lizard, some lizard species, I feel like, do sometimes do better in sterile. And it's very true. I can tell you that for sure. Yeah, yeah, just because of the environmental requirements for those animals, it's hard to replicate that in a tank. But your your tropical your truly tropical, truly humid loving species like dart frogs, I mean, a terrarium is is ideal. Um, I think with all the live plants, the you know, the LED lighting, um, keeping it cooler, that's that's all very easy to do and, and fun to do. So I would encourage any listeners to definitely go, if you're getting dart frogs, definitely go bio with it. I hundred percent agree. Okay. So now that we've kind of, you know, touched on the basics, I kind of want to get into some of the stuff that you don't find online. Um, So let's start with like UVB. You know, I've tried to look it up many times. I've had conversations with other dart frog keepers. It seems people are very split on it. What is your opinion on UVB for dart frogs? Um, There's a decent paper. It's not too old, but there's a decent paper about um, frogs avoiding UVB. Um, there's an avoidance paper and that was done with Pamilio. Um, 
generally speaking, it's not necessary. So anything I find not necessary, I tend to stay away from. And there's a reason for that. And it's not because I don't want to further the industry in an innovative way. It's because I want to mitigate risks. Um, in a facility like mine, yes, could I set up a UVB track for one of my rack systems and use borosilicate glass or whatever that allows UVB penetration? Yes, I could. Would I want to risk, though? Um, not overdoses, because you can't overdose vitamin D3. It's fat-soluble. Um, overdoses would occur from a dietary intake. They wouldn't, the, the skin actually will stop producing it. Um, but there are other, obviously this is radiation we're talking about. So there are other dangers um, in terms of denaturing DNA, um, cancers, that kind of stuff with UV radiation. Um, so if it's not necessary and we have supplements that completely fill the IU requirements of our animals via Rapashi, you know, having calcium plus available. I have used calcium plus since inception of, of time. Um, and it's only gotten better. Uh, Allen has a great company. It's not just, I mean, everybody knows it. Rapashi is touted time and time again. Uh, Necton supplements are good. Um, I think there are other supplements that are also good. Burkhan uh, is another great supplement. Very difficult to get, but very good. Dosed properly. Um, this is These are things that scientists that specialize in this field have done. And those are things that I do trust from an intrinsic standpoint because I am also a scientist. So I trust their research is solid. And that is hopeful, but it's been a decade now and I've had pretty good success. So I'd say it's pretty good. Um, so there's no real push for me to go to UVB. Or, yeah. um, could it benefit? Yeah, it could. I mean, there's, there's definitely benefits to it, but most of these frogs, again, are found in leaf litter. There's really low concentrations of UVB hitting the forest floor um, already. Most of the canopy filters out almost 50%. It's very um, thick over there as well, yeah. It's it's really thick. And yes, there are frogs that bask, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But they are basking for mere minutes most of the time. Most of the time, these frogs are basking for an average of two to three minutes and retreating back. Wow. They do, they can see, so UV is, is there is a response from their eyes. There's a couple papers on that as well. Um, so they know when there's UV and they do avoid it after a set amount of time. So for me to set up the complexity of having an extra stretch of screen or a borosilicate type glass and setting up another additional tract of lighting when I already have two tracks of, you know, bars going across from my lighting system, it's excessive. I'd have to redo all my tanks. Um, it's not something I'm really interested in doing, nor am I interested in subjecting my frogs as test subjects. Um, Cause knowing me, I'll screw it up the first time. Uh, I am Leave it on too long or. I'm a trial and error kind of person. And mm. that is just not something I'm willing to do. I'll leave a hobbyist with that, with 20 frogs that can actually take time and really look at the, if, is there, you know, track data, 
honest to God. Record the data and everything. Yeah, I'll tell you right now. I just don't have time to do it. Do I want to do something like that in the future to further the hobby? Absolutely. But when it's just me and one other person at this time running the website, the store, the shows, the 10,000 square foot facility, all the maintenance of thousands of frogs and all the hundreds of orders we get a week. Yeah, I'll pass on that because I'm already staying up all night once a week, every every week. So I'm dying here. Um, yeah, once again, appreciate you coming on no, <laughs> no, with no, all the busy schedule. No, I didn't yeah. mean it like that, but I know I'm just I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's yeah, it is very split because there are there are noted benefits as well, but most of the frogs again are really it's a very short time period. So yeah, if like you could program a low percent UVB bulb to go off for five minutes a day, even 10 minutes a day, there might be benefits. That's now, interesting how, thought. Yeah. And, and how, how great are the benefits really? Are they producing, is it helping them produce better, live longer, have more fecundity? I mean, we yeah, don't even getting more know. eggs or like what's, yeah. What's we the measure here? Benefit really translates to we know what the benefits are but we don't know what that translates to long term yeah nicer colors it could could be a lot of things yeah yeah so with that being said i don't think we should push it as a hobby because it presents more danger than not because of the heat giving off heat a lot of new people you know they're like oh what heat bulb should i use and i'm like don't use a heat bulb like (laughs) like (laughs) again this is if they're like oh uvb and heat bulb, and they accidentally do that. That's done. That could be the frog. So again, we're as a newer hobby, and it's not a new hobby, but in the eyes of the public, it's a new hobby. So as experienced hobbyists, we need to be careful what we're telling people, because again, it only takes one loud person to say, "I heard on one podcast UVB is good." And then all of a sudden, there's hundreds of people killing the frogs. 100%. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But I'm not going to be responsible for it. <laughs> no, yeah. me neither. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You're good. So, like, right now, I would advise new keepers or even experienced keepers, you know, you don't have to ditch UVB completely, but make sure it's low-powered. Make sure it's not on for more than 10 minutes a day. And make sure that it's far enough away from the tank to where you're not not creating excess heat or at least you have passive ventilation in your tank um that would be my advice i wouldn't do it more than that as long as you're supplementing well every feeding you have nothing to worry about awesome okay i'm gonna stop the episode here for now but tune in next week to hear the rest of the conversation with alex and continue to learn all about dark frog care and husbandry you can find alex at frog daddy on all social media and you can find the links to his accounts in the show notes I'm Fadi Neddi of Daffy's Reptiles, uh, Daffy's Roundtable for the podcast. Find me on all social media platforms, and we'll see you next time.